This is Viewpoint with attorney and author Chuck Chrismeyer. Viewpoint is a one-hour talk show confronting the issues of America's heart and home. And now with today's edition of Viewpoint, here is Chuck Chrismeyer. The United States today has told its citizens to leave Russia immediately. The United States has told its citizens to leave Russia immediately due to the war in Ukraine and the risk of arbitrary arrest or harassment by Russian law enforcement agencies. Do not travel to Russia, it said. Russian security services have arrested U.S. citizens on spurious charges, singled out U.S. citizens in Russia for detention and harassment, denied them fair and transparent treatment, and convicted them in secret trials, said the embassy. In addition to that, last Wednesday, Russia warned Israel against providing arms to Ukraine. It took aim at Israel and warned it not to get involved in the war in Ukraine by providing arms to Kiev, claiming such a move would lead to an escalation of the crisis. We say that all countries that supply weapons should understand that we will consider these to be legitimate targets for Russia's armed forces, said the Russian Foreign Ministry spokesperson, according to a report by the Times of Israel. Any attempts implemented or even unrealized, but announced for the supply of additional new or some other weapons, lead and will lead to an escalation of this crisis, she added, and everyone should be aware of this. Well, those comments came one day after Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu said he was considering supplying Ukraine with more than just humanitarian aid, a move that would have reversed Israel's previous position on the war. Israel has made no hard commitments to Ukraine when it comes to defensive aid, largely because of the complex relationship it holds with Russia. Though Moscow's burgeoning relationship with Iran has provided Russia with drones for its war effort in Ukraine, it could prompt Jerusalem to change its tune. Well, today we look at the complex relationship it holds with Russia. The complex relationship, and quite frankly, friends, that conflict, uh, complex relationship is not just with Israel, it's with Ukraine. It's within Russia itself. And so today on Viewpoint, we're going to do something that uh, you will not hear elsewhere, most likely, or have not heard elsewhere, most likely, and that is we're going to take a look at a distilled history of Russia and Ukraine, a distilled history of Russia and Ukraine, so that we can understand, so that we can understand the background of the future, the background of the future. We're going to be taking a look at Russia's prophetic relationship, which would also include Ukraine. So I welcome you to the program. I'm Chuck Meyer. It's conversation, as always, with ever-increasing conviction, talk that transforms. And interestingly, I have just been invited in the last couple of days to speak to a several large Slavic congregations, Slavic meaning primarily Russian and Ukrainian, Russian and Ukrainian with a smattering of Polish in between. Now, why is that? Why would this... Uh, American broadcaster, 
and author be invited to speak to Russian and Ukrainian churches and Slavic churches from coast to coast when it's almost impossible to get into American churches as we understand them. Why would that be? It's something to ponder, friends, something to ponder very seriously. But we're not going to go into uh, that in detail. We're going to take a look at the background of the future as it relates to Russia, as it relates to Ukraine, so that we can better understand biblical prophecy concerning the end of the age and particularly the fulfillment of Ezekiel 38 and 39, the Battle of Gog and Magog. If you were to Google Russia in Israel, you would come up with a whole raft of uh, titles. And I'm going to share just a few of these titles with you so we can get a little bit of a glimpse. This is just in the last month or so. In January of 2023, the headline reads, Will Russia and Israel forge closer ties under Netanyahu? Well, here, Israel is dependent upon Russian support as Israeli air raids in Syria have to be coordinated with the Kremlin. Again, we said that there was going to be a revelation of complexity between Russia and Israel, but also complexity between Russia and Ukraine, which means complexity between Russia and the rest of the world, particularly the Western world. Another headline read, Russia is forming an alliance of pariah states in the Middle East. Putting Israel in a difficult position. Another headline that came 10 hours ago comes from Arab News. Is is Israel a neutral party in the Russian-Ukrainian war? It asks. Israel is home to a population of almost 1 million Russian-speaking citizens and one-third of them are rising from Ukraine shortly before and after the breakup of the Soviet Union. Hmm. What is all this about? Are things accelerating there in the Russian-Ukrainian situation? The next headline that came out uh, today, Putin eyes Kiev as Russia-Ukrainian war enters year two. Military analysts and regional experts fear that the stakes will be even higher during the second year of Russia's war in Ukraine, as Moscow appears set to unleash a major offensive this month ahead of the one-year anniversary of the invasion. At the same time, the Russian Times announced today, the United States or U.S. openly admits it blew up the Nord Stream pipeline. That was declared by the Russian foreign minister, Sergei Lavrov. He said the pipelines were sabotaged because Washington saw Russian-German cooperation as a threat. U.S. officials, he said, are basically admitting that they were behind the sabotage of the Nord Stream pipelines, which was perpetrated to prevent rapprochement between Moscow and Berlin. And by the way, He's right. The U.S. decided that we, Russia, have been cooperating too well with Germany, he said, over the past 20 or 30 years, or rather, that the Germans cooperated with us too well. He said in an interview published on the Foreign Ministry's website yesterday. 
He said the powerful alliance based on Russia's energy resources and German technology began to threaten the monopoly position of many American corporations. So Washington decided to destroy this alliance between Moscow and Berlin and did it literally by attacking the pipelines which were built to deliver Russian gas to Europe through Germany, he added. He's absolutely right. He's absolutely right, but how can we possibly believe that he's right as Americans? Is it possible that we could believe that the president of the United States or the putative president of the United States, Joe Biden, could have not only permitted, but instructed that destruction to take place? Well, that's exactly what a journalist has come up with, one of the most respected journalists in the country, says it's absolutely true. We'll be right back. Once upon a time, children could pray and read their Bibles in school. Divorces were practically unknown, as was child abuse. In our once great America, virginity and chastity were popular virtues, and homosexuality was an abomination. So what happened in just one generation? Hi, I'm Chuck Chris Meyer, and I urge you to join me daily on Viewpoint, where we discuss the most challenging issues touching our hearts and homes. Could America's moral slide relate to the Fourth Commandment? Listen to Viewpoint on this radio station or anytime at saveus.org. The background of the future, that's what we're looking at here today as we look at Russia's prophetic relationship, i.e. prophetic in that Russia plays a major, major part in biblical prophecy in the coming weeks, days, months, perhaps a few years. I'm looking right now at a map, a large map covering Russia, and then all of the various nations surrounding it, particularly south of it, because most of the nations, almost all of the nations of the world, are south of Russia. If you were to look at the map of Russia, it would be surprising to most people, because Russia actually, from appearances, lords it over most of Europe, all of China, and yes, moving forward down the map, over Turkey, over Israel, over Iran, over Arabia, and over half of Africa. And then over all of the other nations below, including India and Pakistan and Iran. Russia has a a significance in the geopolitical history of the world, including the spiritual history of the world, that most people are not really aware of. And because we're not aware of it, it's very difficult for us to comprehend the Russian-Ukrainian antagonism. And it is an antagonism, but it's an antagonism of what historically were, shall we say, brothers. Is this a sibling rivalry come to international significance? Well, that's one way of looking at it. And as we take a look at the history of Russia in the next uh, 20 minutes or so, we're going to see developing out of that history something fascinating. In fact, as I prepared for the program today, I I just didn't want to stop because it was so fascinating. 
But there's so much information, and in order to make it available to you in an understandable way, I have seen fit to distill this in a fashion that I think will be meaningful to all and will help us gradually to begin to gain an understanding of why Russia may be the background for the future, the biblical future, the prophetic future, or at least we'll have something significant to say in that regard. So, are you ready? Russia, or the Russian Federation, is a transcontinental country spanning Eastern Europe and Northern Asia. Note, Eastern Europe and Northern Asia. So Russia has a very unique role and perspective in the world. It is sort of a combination of European and Asian interests. Now, why would that be? Well, because Russia is the largest country in the world. It covers over 17 million square miles and encompasses one-eighth of the Earth's inhabited landmass. Russia extends across 11 time zones. How many time zones does America extend over, excluding Africa? Excuse me, Alaska. Four, as I recall. Maximum four. So Russia extends over 11 time zones and shares land boundaries with 14 countries. It's the world's ninth most populous country and Europe's most populous country. Notice Europe's most populous country. Russia is a European country, but it also has Asian interests. With a population of over 147 million people, and the country's capital and largest city is, you might expect, Moscow. The Russian Empire remains the third largest empire in history. Now, think about this in comparison to other major empires. You had the Egyptian Empire, and you had the Persian Empire, you had the Grecian Empire, and you had the Roman Empire, But the Russian Empire remains the third largest empire in history. Now that puts it up there with tremendous significance in the context of even Daniel's uh, colossal vision with the four great empires concluding with the Russian Empire. You say, well, yes, but we're uh, concluding with the uh, uh, Roman Empire, rather. So where does that put the Russian Empire. Well, it remains kind of in a conflicted role among all of them. Russian technological achievements include the first human-made satellite. Back in 1957, you might recall Sputnik. I recall that. It was in junior high school at that time. And it shook up the American uh, mathematics and engineering world. It was one of the things that drove me and my buddies in junior high school to pursue electronics and and science and mathematics. Also, Russian technological, technological achievements include the first human expedition into outer space. 
So it wasn't America, it was Russia. In 1991, one year before the Lord spoke to my heart to leave the practice of law, to plead his cause in the land as a voice to the church, declaring vision for the nation, the Russian uh, new form of empire, SFSR, Federation emerged from the dissolution of the Soviet Union as the independent Russian Federation. Russia's political system has been dominated since then by Vladimir Putin, as we know, under whom the country has experienced democratic backsliding and a shift toward authoritarianism. Why is that? Because Vladimir Putin was an ex-KGB guy. Once Once a KGB man, always a KGB man in one sense. On the other hand, many in Russia have looked upon Vladimir Putin as God's answer to them to prepare Russia to fulfill its spiritual destiny to be the salvation of the world, to usher in the second coming of Jesus Christ. You'll find that in my book, King of the Mountain, The Epic, Eternal, and End-Time Battle. If you don't have that book, you need to read it. You really do. To set the stage in a bigger way. It's not just about Russia. That's only part of it. In order to get the understanding of where, how biblical prophecy figures and what the main battle is. The main battle is not between Russia and Ukraine. This is a symptom of a much bigger battle. It's not the ultimate battle. It's a symptom of the ultimate battle. Because it's positioning Russia not against Ukraine, but against the Western world. So will Russia be identified primarily as a European country, or will it be identified outside the realm of a European country and thrust it more into the area of an Asian alliant country, and therefore fracture for all time and history its perceived relationship with Europe and the Western world. That's really what Ukraine is all about. Bottom line, that's its ultimate uh, prophetic purpose. But we'll get into that more deeply as we move forward here today. Russia, because of its history... And uh, a, a lot of its dealings among the people uh, has high levels of perceived corruption throughout the world. But so does Ukraine. Well, why would that be? Because Ukrainians and Russians were, were blood brother, uh, brothers. So what we claim is happening under Vladimir Putin is also happening under Zelensky. Do you think Mr. Zelensky, the crusader for freedom in Ukraine, has clean hands and a pure heart? Absolutely not. He's as opposed to freedom in his country as Putin is in his. He's doing everything he can to close off free speech in Ukraine. But he's selling a picture to the rest of the world, particularly the Western world, the the uh, NATO nations, he's selling a picture to them that he's the crusader for freedom 
in Ukraine. Well, maybe in the nature of Simone Bolivar, uh, Bolivar being the crusader for freedom in uh, Bolivia umpteen years ago. So where did that leave Bolivia as largely a socialist and communistic nation? Did that bring freedom and liberty to Bolivia? I guess it depends on how you define it. But ranked worldwide, the Russian economy stands at the ninth largest by nominal GDP, sixth largest uh, by another measure of the GDP. But listen to this. Its mineral and energy resources are the world's largest. It figures for oil production and natural gas production rank high globally. Russia possesses the largest stockpile of nuclear weapons and has the fifth highest military expenditure in the world. The country is a permanent member of the United Nations Security Council. In other words, Russia is something a force to be dealt with. But let's go back into a bit of history now. That gives us a thumbnail sketch of Russia as it is. But let's take a look at a little bit of background. How about the name Russia? Well, it comes from a medieval Latin name for Rus, R-U-S, a medieval state that was populated primarily by the Eastern Slavs. In modern history, this state is usually noted or denoted as Kievan Rus after its capital city. Now, what would that capital city be? Kiev. Oh, we've been hearing that word lately, haven't we? Isn't that what Russia has been after, trying to get dominion over Kiev? The name Rus itself comes from the early medieval Rus people, who were originally a group of Norse merchants and warriors, and later founded a state centered on Kiev. Now, wait a minute, wait a minute. I thought we were talking about Russia. Now we're talking about Kiev. Well, you cannot understand the dynamics of what are taking place with Vladimir Putin's attack on Ukraine without first understanding that Russia had its roots in Ukraine or Kiev. Not only its geopolitical roots, but its spiritual roots there, as we're going to see. This is much more complex than our politicians and prognosticators uh, want to let on. As I spoke to one Slavic pastor early on in the, uh, the war, he said, Chuck, this thing is much more complex than people realize. Now, he doesn't like Vladimir Putin, but he sees, he knows that this situation with Russia and Ukraine is not what most people think it is. In the 10th to 11th centuries, Kievan Rus became one of the largest and most prosperous states in Europe. Oh, no, wait, 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 wait a minute. Kievan Rus, that is what we now know as Ukraine, 
became one of the largest, most prosperous states in Europe? The reigns of Vladimir the Great and his son constitute the golden age of Kiev, which saw the acceptance of Orthodox Christianity from Byzantium. Now, wait a minute. Kiev became the epicenter of the transfer of Orthodox Christianity from Constantinople and Byzantium when the Mongols, excuse me, when the Muslims took over to Ukraine and Kiev? Hmm. Fascinating. Now we're beginning to see why <clears throat> this struggle is a much more complex, a bigger issue than anybody really would imagine. We'll be right back and look at what this really means. There is so much more about Chuck Chris Meyer and Save America Ministries on our website, saveus.org. For example, under the marriage section, God has marriage on his mind. Chuck has some great resources to strengthen your marriage. First off, a fact sheet on the state of the marital union, a fact sheet on the state of ministry, marriage, and morals. SaveUS.org. Marriage, divorce, and remarriage. What does the Bible really teach about this? Find all of this at SaveUS.org. Also, a letter to pastors, the Hosea Project, SaveUS.org, and many more resources to strengthen your marriage. It's all on Chuck's website, SaveUS.org. Again, you can listen to Chuck's Viewpoint broadcast live and archived. Save America Ministries website at SaveUS.org. So good to have you join us here today on Viewpoint as we look at the background of the future, the Russian prophetic relationship. And in order to understand this, we have to understand a bit of history. We just have to. You can't extract Russia and Ukraine from history. You cannot extract the Bible from history. The Bible was written in the context both of history and the future. Prophecy has very little significance unless you understand the background of the prophecy. And so that's what we're doing here today on Viewpoint. By the way, if you want to have a better understanding of the background of prophecy, particularly as it relates to the main shall we say, geopolitical struggle overridden by spiritual motivation, you need to get a copy of my book, King of the Mountain. King of the Mountain, the eternal epic and end time battle, for it is said, he who rules the Temple Mount rules the world. As you read that book, you will find some of the major nations of the world historically, you will find the biblical pattern from Genesis to Revelation, in fact, even before Genesis, when Satan encountered God in his rebellion in the Mount of God and said, I will be like the Most High God. That's when it began. And in order to do that, he must ascend to the Temple Mount. 
But in order to do that, he can't do it himself because he hasn't been given dominion in the earth. Humankind has been given dominion in the earth. Therefore, Satan must fulfill his desire through humankind, ultimately by one person. But that one person will represent an agglomeration of humankind on the earth. That one person we know to be the Antichrist, don't we? And he is in the process of assembling that group of people on this planet who will enable him and Satan to fulfill the goal to rule and reign from the Temple Mount. As against Christ. That's what Antichrist means, against Christ. So when you read the book, you're going to find it absolutely fascinating. King of the Mountain. King of the Mountain. It's a uh, $20 book, yours for $15. It's on our website, saveus.org, saveus.org. You can give us a call at 1-800-SAVE-USA, 1-800-SAVE-USA, or write to us at Save America Ministries, P.O. Box 70879, Richmond, Virginia, 23255. Writing a check at $5 for postage and handling. And by the way, in that book is an entire chapter, a long chapter, dealing with the role of Russia, where it connects. In the 10th to 11th centuries, Kievan Rus, that is Kiev there in the Ukraine as we know it, Kievan Rus became one of the largest, most prosperous states in Europe. That was the golden age of Kiev. And it saw the acceptance of Orthodox Christianity that came from Byzantium, that is where Constantine had set up the second Roman church, which they believed to be the true Orthodox Christianity as opposed to the papacy in Western Rome. Kievan Rus finally fell to the Mongol invasion uh, in the early to uh, mid-1200s, and that resulted in the sacking of Kiev and other cities, as well as the death of a major portion of the, the population in what is now known as Ukraine. The invaders were later known as Tartars and formed the state of the Golden Horde that ruled over Russia for the next two centuries, that is 200 years. Then came Ivan III, known as Ivan the Great or Ivan the Terrible, and he finally threw off the control of the Golden Horde and consolidated the whole of northern Rus under Moscow's dominion. So northern Rus, that would include, I think, Ukraine, and now shifting to Moscow for authority, and was the first Russian ruler to take the title Grand Duke of all Rus. So the fall of Constantinople in 1453, Moscow then claimed succession to the legacy of the Eastern Roman Empire. Well, guess what? The Western Roman Empire under the papacy has been divided ever since. In fact, the Pope has tried to heal that rift called the Great Schism, but Moscow or the Muscovites or the uh, Eastern Roman Empire has refused. 
They don't want to come under the papacy. They think it's illegitimate. They think it's false. They think it's heretical. They didn't ask you what you thought. That's what they believe. Now, in the development of what is called the Third Rome ideas, the Grand Duke Ivan IV, Ivan the Terrible, was officially crowned the first czar of Russia in 1547. Now, it's right around that period of time when you read my book, King of the Mountain, you're going to read about a vision and a prophecy that came out of that narrow period declaring that Russia was the third Rome and there would never be another. In other words, Russia was going to be the final iteration of the Christian, shall we say, rulership and empire in the world. That's what they believed. And that belief, by the way, has word wormed its way as a thread through Russian mind and heart set, a very character of Russia ever since. Sometimes it might be a little hard to see it because things went so awry during the uh, Bolshevik Revolution and the Sovietization of Russia. But even there, they believed that the Russian people were going to save the world through the advance of socialism through communism. Then came the Romanov dynasty, about 1600-something. Russia continued its territorial growth through the 17th century, that's the 1600s, which was the age of the Cossacks. We've heard of those. In 1654, the Ukrainian leader, Kamalinsky, offered to place Ukraine under the protection of the Russian Tsar Alexis. Now think about this. Here's the Ukrainian leader that's voluntarily wanting to place Ukraine under the protection of a Russian Tsar. Ultimately, Ukraine was split along the Dnieper River, which it still is, by the way. Russia's splitting it off again leaving the eastern part, that is the left bank, Ukraine and Kiev, under Russian rule. That's what Russia has been seeking to do. It's divided off those provinces. That has been one of the major focuses of Russia and Vladimir Putin in this so-called Ukrainian war. Why? To restore what he believes is the legitimate role of Russia with regard to the land that we identify as Ukraine. Under Peter Great, Peter the Great, Russia was proclaimed an empire in 1721 and established itself as one of the European great powers ruling from 1682 to 1725. And Peter the Great founded St. Petersburg, not St. Petersburg, Florida, but St. Petersburg as the new Russian capital. And a good friend of mine from Richmond, Virginia, has been serving in St. Petersburg, Russia, for many years now. I hear from him every month. In North America, the Russians became the first Europeans to reach and colonize Alaska. During most of the 19th and early 20th century, Russia and Britain colluded over, and I want you to listen to this, 
Russia and Britain colluded over Afghanistan and its neighboring territories in Central and South Asia, and the rivalry between those two major European empires came to be known as the Great Game. I don't want you to forget that term, the Great Game, because that term now has been reinterpreted to mean, in our generation, the battle for control of the geopolitical world. In particularly energy, oil and gas. That is now known and identified as the great game. Well, it's interesting because our Congress, unbeknownst to most Americans, tried to establish a pipeline that would run through Afghanistan uh, to the Indian Ocean. And so that's the reason why our Congress resisted the Taliban. Because the Taliban had control in Afghanistan and they were preventing this pipeline to be run by one of the major oil companies in America. I write about that in uh, one of my books, I think in King of the Mountain. And there's testimony in the Congress about it. You see, so many of these things that seem to be just mere geopolitical things are highly relevant in the motivation of where we are today. And even the Afghanistan war, one of the longest wars America was ever involved in. The end of the late 19th century, 1800s, saw the rise of various socialist movements in Russia. In 1914, Russia entered World War I in response to Austria-Hungary's declaration of war on Russia's ally, Serbia. Then we pick up where the Soviet Union comes in and see where that heads, setting the foundation for where we are today. Remember the background of the future? We're still looking at that. Stay tuned. Have you ever considered what the early church was like? Many people are developing a hard longing for a greater fulfillment in our practices as Christians. A recent study showed 53,000 people a week are leaving the back door of America's churches in frustration. What is going on? Why has there not been even a 1% gain among followers of Christ in the last 25 years? Could it be that God is seeking to restore first century Christianity for the 21st century? Jesus said, I'll build my church. Is Christ by His Spirit stirring to prepare the church for the 21st century? The early church prayed together and broke bread from house to house. They were family, and it was said by all who observed, Behold how they love one another. Incredible. But the same can be found right now. Go to saveus.org and click Sell Church. We can revive first century Christianity for the 21st century. It's about people, not programs. It's about a body, not a building. That's saveus.org. Click Sell Church. Again, I welcome you back to Viewpoint. We're looking at the background of the future, uh, Russia's prophetic role uh, in the future uh, in biblical prophecy. And so we need to very quickly set the stage, moving from the Bolshevik Revolution in uh, 1917 
And then in December of 22, 1922, Lenin and his aides formed the Soviet Union. And they joined together in a single state with the Belarusian, Transcaucasian, and Ukrainian republics. Please, I must repeat this. Listen carefully. Lenin, Vladimir Lenin, and his aides formed the Soviet Union by joining together the Russian SFSR into a single state with Belarusia, Transcaucasian, and Ukrainian republics. Ukrainian republics. It was part of the Soviet Union. Following Lenin's death in 1924, a troika was designated to take charge, and eventually Joseph Stalin, the Secretary General of the Communist Party, suppressed all opposition factions, consolidated power in his hands to become the country's dictator by the 1930s, including over Ukraine. So the continuing struggle, internal struggle, in the Bolshevik Party culminated in what was called the Great Purge, and then... Notice all of this uh, problem going on in Russia and uh, Russia, Ukraine, and the surrounding nations. In the period of World War II, it was known as Russia as the Great Patriotic War. And as a result, Russia lost, unbelievably, about 26, 27 million people. Half of all World War II's casualties were Russian. However, that enabled, that great sacrifice enabled the Soviet Union to emerge as a global superpower. Set them up. Well, it also enabled the U.S. to be seen as a great superpower. So now you have these two great superpowers emerging out of the same war. Prior to 1991, when the Soviet Union collapsed, The Soviet economy was the world's second largest, but then it went into crisis. And because of that, things began to boil over, and the Baltic states that were part of the Soviet Union chose to secede from the Soviet Union. Now, they are part of the conflict with regard to Ukraine. Do we get involved? Their their whole issue is, do we now get involved with taking the side of Ukraine, which puts us in opposition to Russia, and since we're on Russia's border, does that not submit us to Russia's uh, violent attack? Yet, at the same time, they're being considered, and they are considering to become part of NATO, which is supposedly what Russia is opposing. Now, why is Russia opposing NATO, the North Atlantic Treaty Organization? Because NATO has nations that surround the entire western area of Russia and threaten the integrity of Russia and its power as Vladimir Putin perceives it, historically. And you can well understand why he would feel that way. So he's warned the Western world, don't keep encroaching, bringing NATO ever closer to our border, because we're not going to put up with it. But the West continued to do that. In fact, so much so that in 2008, George W. Bush had a very lengthy uh, session 
not with Russia, but with other leaders in Western Europe, to try to compel them to move NATO forward to absorb Ukraine. And they refused. The reason they refused is because they were afraid of Russia, that it would provoke Russia. Indeed, it would. But now they're moving Ukraine forward, have been working behind the scenes to, from Russia's perspective, provoke Ukraine to do exactly what Russia warned against, to turn Ukraine into a NATO member and thus do the ultimate to threaten Russia. That's their viewpoint. And viewpoint determines destiny. So where does that leave us? In 2014, following a revolution in Ukraine, Russia invaded and annexed the neighboring country's Crimean Peninsula. Crimea, remember? And that contributed to the outbreak of war in eastern Ukraine with the direct invention, intervention of Russian troops. So, Russia escalated that war by launching a full-scale invasion of Ukraine on February 24th, 2022, almost one year ago, which has become the largest conventional war in Europe since World War II. As a result, Russia was expelled from the Council of Europe in March, was suspended from the United Nations Human Rights Council in April, then in September of last year, Putin proclaimed the annexation of 15% of Ukraine's landmass, the largest seizure attempt in Europe since World War II. So, the European Parliament then has designated Russia as a state sponsor of terrorism and as a state that uses means of terrorism. The NATO, now North Atlantic Treaty Organization, has designated the Russian state under the current regime as a terrorist one, and called for the establishment of an international tribunal to prosecute the crime of aggression committed by Russia with its war against Ukraine. But why did Russia launch the war against Ukraine? It's because the West provoked it intentionally and has been in the process of provoking it intentionally. Regardless of what you think about that, those views are what are driving destiny. You see, viewpoint determines destiny. It always has, and it always will. So now the Council of Europe has called for an international tribunal, criminal tribunal, to prosecute Russian crimes. Well, is it just Russia that's committing crimes, or is it Ukrainians under Zelensky that's also committing crimes that nobody wants to talk about because it doesn't advance the narrative of the West to launch Ukraine into NATO. Now, Russia is one of the world's only three countries that borders three oceans. It has links with a great number of seas. It has home to over a thousand rivers one of the world's largest surface water resources, with its lakes containing approximately one quarter of the world's liquid fresh water. About half of Russia's territory is forested. It has the world's largest area of forest, which sequesters some of the world's highest amounts of carbon dioxide in the world. In other words, for the environment. Now you're beginning to see that Russia is a major player in the world 
contrary to what you might think as an American. It's not just about communism. It's about a much bigger picture. Now, from there, a Polish leader has warned of Russian victory. This just came out today. He said Russia may win the conflict in Ukraine if the Kiev government doesn't isn't supplied with Western weapons in the coming weeks. During an interview with the French newspaper Le Figaro on Saturday, he was asked if he thought the Russians could achieve victory in Ukraine. He said, yes, they can, if Ukraine doesn't receive help very urgently, said the Polish leader. Then the vice president, right hand of Zelensky, today announced it's time for Ukraine to join NATO. This is where we are today. What is its significance? Here is what I believe its significance is. We talked about this when the Ukraine war first came out, and I'm going to repeat it now that we have much more history in our hands, and that is, it is necessary for Ukraine and the Baltic nations to be absorbed into NATO, the North Atlantic Treaty Organization, to complete the fulfillment of the prophecy of Daniel of the last great empire that will rule the world before the second coming of Christ. What great empire ruled the world at the first coming of Christ? Rome. What great empire did Daniel say would rule the world at the second coming of Christ? Rome. Rome consisted of all of Western Europe. I don't believe it included Russia, but it did include all of Western Europe going up into the Baltics. Now, through this process, this geopolitical process and the pressure that is building, whether you call it tribulation, whatever you want to call it, pressure, it is now bringing the world and history to its fulfillment, prophetic fulfillment, so that the entire former Roman Empire will be virtually intact. And it is that Western Roman Empire that the papacy deems is its, uh, shall we say, its destination its divine purpose to rule over. And through that, the West of the world. That's the goal. And that's the reason, one of the reasons why Pope John Paul II saw Russia as its premier enemy. You can read about that in the major book called the The Keys of This Blood, written by Malachi Martin, a Vatican insider. I recalled all of that in my books, I think, in King of the Mountain. That's the reason why you need to get a copy of the book, friends. I really think you do, because it will help you to get a spiritual perspective how these things are playing out. 
so that she should not take you unaware, so that you can understand the dynamics of what are taking place. If you don't understand, it's, it brings confusion. And you begin to take sides inappropriately. Who doesn't want people to live in freedom? Who doesn't want people to have a, an independence to be able to make their own decisions as a country? The problem is, with Ukraine, that it wasn't always an independent country in that sense. It is inextricably linked with Russia itself and Russia with it. And so depending on your viewpoint, you can justify war to reunite or to divide. And that's what's happening. And the net result of that, the Western world is moving every, uh, shall we say, piece on the checkerboard to bring about the uniting of Ukraine, (coughs) excuse me, with NATO, (coughs) which in fact is bringing about the restoration, uniting of the great empire that once ruled the world, the Roman Empire. Hence, the background for the future. Russia's prophetic relationship. I hope this has been somewhat helpful. We don't often spend that much time dealing with facts and details, but it's necessary in a situation like this. Otherwise, we get confused. Bottom line, it's all about oil and gas. Because oil and gas are what caused America and Joe Biden to blow up the Nord Stream pipeline. Where does that fit? With Germany. We'll have to get to that next. And this is Viewpoint. Thanks for joining us. Get a copy of the book, King of the Mountain. $15 on our website, saveus.org. Become a partner, friends. Do it today. Don't delay. God bless. You've been listening to Viewpoint with Chuck Grissmeyer. Viewpoint is supported by the faithful gifts of our listeners. Let me urge you to become a partner with Chuck as a voice to the church declaring vision for the nation. Join us again next time on Viewpoint as we confront the issues of America's heart and home. 